We have a uh, new, well, actually, we have an old lineup here on KFI. We just changed <laughs> our numbers. Gary and Shannon uh, start from uh, 10 o'clock now. They go 10 to 2. Gary Hoffman. Yeah, this is permanent. Yeah, every day. Yeah, we'll see how that Until, little... Until uh, somebody else has uh, another bright idea. Shannon Farron. He said, my mouth hurts. Yeah. Yeah, my ears hurt. Gary and Shannon. So you got to stick around. You are gonna, you're going to need to pump those brakes a little bit. Yeah. Uh, because you didn't early this morning. <laughs> I blew through a stop sign. Yeah. And I got a ticket, guys. One what? of Southern California's yeah. finest was able to pull her over. Were you running late? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, Excuse me, ma'am. You know why I pulled you over? Did they use that line? Did, did he? He said, well, first of all, I'm old, right? I'm knocking on 40 over here. And I still get nervous <laughs> when I get pulled over for something that I know I did. Everybody gets nervous. I get nervous. shaky. I get, like, anxious. I get nervous. And it's like, Shannon, you just blew through a stop sign. That's all we're doing here. You know? You're, you didn't you don't have anybody. You don't have meth in the console. You like, don't have you're an fine. open bottle of Chardonnay in the passenger <laughs> right, seat. Right, right, You're fine. You're fine. But I still have that physical response, and I don't know what that's all about. Everybody does. Yeah, that's... Uh... I think that's normal. Why is that, though? Just because the whole, you know, you feel like a criminal. Yes, I did. <laughs> feel like a criminal and there was an older gentleman and he's walking down the street on his morning walk and, and he, he's looking at me like i am a criminal like i just killed a child he said tisk tisk he That's gave he me said. a look like i was a criminal like i was in a courtroom in behind the the plastic your honor i mean you kind of were though because you yeah I, I well i didn't feel good it didn't feel good um but the it was funny because the officer says um, thank you for understanding. He said, thank you for understanding. I want to say at least five times. And I wanted to say to him, sir, I'm in the wrong here. I'm the one who blew through the stop sign. You don't need to thank me for my understanding. I Shannon, respect you. Do, you. do you think that old guy that saw you is going to post about you in your neighborhood yes, watch thing? Yes, on the next door app or whatever <laughs> yeah. the hell yeah. it is. It's going to be, the, I saw a criminal today, everybody. Uh, she was in a black X SUV. <laughs> That's the biggest thing to hit that neighborhood in a couple months. Probably. Hey, well, welcome back, Blake. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. How did you do spreading the word of the Lord? It went really well. It went really well. We had a lot of kids showed up for the uh, for the events and stuff, and yeah, there was a lot of a uh, lot of interaction, and everyone's very receptive to it, which is good because uh, apparently that area of Romania is point two percent Christian, and now it's what point eight point. Two one. <laughs> um, uh, so, did you do like Bible stories and things for the kids? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it was the the vacation Bible school. It had like game time because it's a bunch of little little kids. So you have to have game time, and there's craft time, and then there's Bible story time, and there's was there a language barrier issue? Uh, well, because they don't speak English, yes, but, but you have um, translators. We had translators, <laughs> yeah. So there was that part. Um, but you can connect with children not speaking the same language. Yes, and that worked. And a lot of them actually know pieces because uh, they teach it in school there. So there were some who were better than others. So some of the little kids would help telling the other little kids. I think my favorite is they all learned my name really quick. So they'd say, they go, Blake, Blake, Blake. And I turn around and go, yes. And then just a bunch of Romanian. And I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. You're like, I like, just knew that one I word. Like, I know my name. I know Blake. Like, <laughs> and there's this one little girl at one point. She kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. And I'd be like, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're saying. And one of the other Romanian girls, I knew the word for uh, like understand. And I basically heard her rattle at the other girl. He doesn't understand you. Like, he, stop it. He doesn't know what you're yeah. saying. And she just looks sad. And I was wow. like, I'm sorry. But <laughs> She language shamed the other girl. Yes. Wow. Well, welcome it, back. We're glad to have this you This is almost all, uh, also the most time you've spent with your fiance. 
That is by far the most time I've ever spent with my fiance. And you guys still so love each other? Yeah, it's still on? Yeah. Well, oh, even even more so because oh, we had to, there were so many other so. people. <laughs> we had to like we because both of us are so introverted that I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Blake's an introvert? No, he doesn't mean it the way you think he means it. I mean it like clinically. Like no, it drains he still you doesn't mean it the way group? you think he means No, I mean like I don't like groups of people is what I mean. Okay. I, I know, and anyways, but her and I are both the same way, but uh, I know it surprises you guys. <laughs> I, am, I am shocked. No, like I, like I don't like parties. I don't like that kind of stuff. Like okay. I, don't, I don't like groups of people. Like I do well. You like, like one-on-one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we were in a house of 20 people with two bathrooms. Oh, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, no. There's so, a, I would pray a lot in that situation, right. too. So for her and I, like that was the nice thing about having each other is because we were like each other's safe space. I was see. like we could just walk away like or, you know, walk to a corner of the room where there wasn't people within five feet of us. A corner just, of the room. <laughs> well, we are happy to have you back. Thank you. Uh, safe uh, and sound. Yeah. Dude. Dude. Bojo. Is that what we're calling him? That's what I'm going to call him. Dude. Dude. Boris Johnson. One of the most famous, bombastic, and controversial politicians has won the race to lead the conservative party and will become the next prime minister in a little over 24 hours as he's being described the first love actually prime minister. Yeah. Got a young girlfriend. And I get it. I understand it now because I saw the movie finally. Um, yeah, he's, he's got a girlfriend. He's got a, a love child off to the side there. He's got a couple of kids uh, from a previous marriage apparently. So – He's got all kinds of stuff going on. Do you know what he sounds like? Sounds like Donald Trump. Yep. I mean, just in terms of the personal history, he's very outspoken. I would say he's uh, funnier than Donald Trump, but this was part of the speech that he gave as he accepted the fact uh, of the vote where he will be named prime minister officially within the next 24 hours. Deliver, unite, and defeat was not the perfect acronym for an election campaign, since unfortunately it spells dud. But they forgot the final E, my friends. E for energize. And I say, I say to all the doubters, dude, we are going to energize the country. We're going to get Brexit done on October the 31st. We're going to take advantage of all the opportunities that it will bring in a new spirit of can do. Mm. And we are once again going to believe in ourselves and what we can achieve. And like some slumbering giant, we are going to rise and ping off the guy ropes of self-doubt and negativity. With better education, better infrastructure, more police, fantastic full-fibre broadband sprouting in every household, we are going to unite this amazing country and we are going to take it forward. I thank you all very much. Dude! Uh, This is going to be interesting. He comes into this thing dealing with a couple of massive issues immediately. Well, and what what kind of Brexit is he going to broker? Is it the no-deal Brexit that a lot of people over there don't like and they think that it could mean a breakup of their health system, a sell-off to United States corporations, and a sweetheart deal for for Donald Trump. Right. Well, the, the thing with Theresa May was she tried everything. She tried about eight different versions of a Brexit plan, and when Parliament said no to all of them, that's when she said, well, you know what, that I'm probably not the right person for the job. Uh, that was, what, two months ago. And Boris Johnson was a guy, he defeated Jeremy Hunt um, in the conservative leadership contest. And he has said, Boris Johnson has said, they will come up with a deal by October 31st, which is the deadline to come up with a deal. Even Uh, if it's a no-deal deal. deal. Even if it's a no-deal deal. The other thing that he's got coming, staring him in the face, of course, 
is the conflict with Iran. Um, the, the latest being that Iran has shot down, using the pun intentionally, any idea of a pan-European military force to, uh, to patrol the Strait of Hormuz and the Persian Gulf in general, saying this is our territory, this is our uh, backyard, we should be in charge of all of it. So, uh, I, listen, he's got, his, he's got his work cut out for him, and he's got fantastic hair. I think that's up for uh, no, a matter of opinion. It is not. It's mm-hmm. fantastic hair. Democrats today are going to be holding a mock hearing, uh, getting ready for Mueller Day. Bob Mueller Day tomorrow. How are we going to squeeze information from a career prosecutor who has spent his career not giving up information he doesn't want to give up? Oh, boy. He's, uh, he's a smart man. And it's going to be the most boring testimony ever tomorrow. But you'll hear it here live. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue. Take it from me if you want a t-shirt to sleep in. It's my favorite, but you can keep it. it looks good, baby, you should leave it. Hanging off your shoulder. Give me them bare feet dancing down a hall. And smiling at me, running your finger down the wall. You know what I want. I got what you need. Take it from me. Shannon. Oh, those people that got into the brawl at Disneyland have been charged. Oh, it's about time. Three of the people there. A man, his sister, and her husband charged with various counts from that. A man, his sister, and her husband. Doesn't that sound like a great Thanksgiving? Oh, my gosh. Uh, The uh, National Weather Service has issued a heat advisory today for the San Fernando Valley through 9 o'clock tonight or so. Temperatures could reach over 100 degrees in the valley, and there's a good chance for some showers as well. So today's uh, today's forecast is Haiti. Um, In fact, it's going to be it's going to be warmer in the valley today than it is in Port-au-Prince with higher humidity in some areas. So, oh, and next hour, we're going to talk about Dodger Stadium undergoing a hundred million dollar renovation this offseason. That's and it's going to be there's a there's a section sort of center field that right now is just kind of storage for like the the batting shell the tortoise shell that they use for the batting cage uh, for warm ups that is going to be completely renovated like two full acres of uh, food courts and beer gardens and new escalators and you could you'll be able to walk around the entire stadium for the first time outstanding very cool. Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee are holding a mock hearing today in private to get ready for Bob Mueller's congressional testimony tomorrow. Sorry. They are going to be grilling Bob mm. Mueller about his yeah. Russia investigation, which, of course, the purpose of was to find out if there was evidence of election meddling during the 2016 presidential race. And was the current administration at the time candidate Trump involved in the meddling in cahoots with Russia? Now, the ex-FBI director has told people, reporters, he doesn't plan to testify about anything other than what was listed in his already released 400 page report so i'm not really sure when there are some members of the judiciary committee saying to expect explosive moments where they're going to get that from yeah he's i don't understand this guy is a like you said he's a career prosecutor 
He knows this game. He's testified dozens of times before committees in Congress, I think 88 times or something like that while he was director of the FBI. This is not a new thing for him. And anybody who thinks they're going to try to they're going to trick him, uh, trip him up or they're going to pull a fast one on Robert Mueller, uh, they're idiots. Now, the other thing about this is the Democrats are going to try to get him to, they say, read into the congressional record some of the pieces of the Mueller report as if somehow that adds power to what it is that's already been reported. I don't understand that if they want him to go through and read the 11 instances where there was a suspicion of obstruction of justice that does not make that does not argue in favor of those things it do, it doesn't make them more powerful it's just repetition of something that we've heard before Jerry Nadler said over the weekend, of course, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, that he believed the hearing could kick off impeachment proceedings against the president. Told Fox News Sunday that the report presents very substantial evidence that the president is guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors. He said, we have to let Mueller present those facts to the American people and then see where we go from there. Here's another thing about this I don't understand. If one of the arguments is Adam Schiff said, uh, and he's the chair of the... uh, Uh, intelligence committee he said very few americans have actually read this report so we need to give them the opportunity to hear it from robert Mueller. wait hold on a second do you think somebody who didn't read the report is going to pay any attention to a congressional hearing about the report also not very few people it was on the bestseller list right exactly many people consumed this and you know what you heard from nobody is that they found something on page 322, line 49. Yeah, that nobody else In the else second saw. clause that says that, it, or that's proof that the president is guilty of obstruction of justice. Nobody has come up with that. You don't think that there's journalists pouring through that thing and trying to draw conclusions from things that are not plainly stated? Yeah. Of course there are. I just don't know what's going to come out of, what possibly could come out of tomorrow. The Republicans say that they are going to use their time to question Bob Mueller about corruption at the FBI, why the investigation was started in the first place, why the FISA warrant was issued for Carter Page, what started all of this, the uh, the interactions between Peter Strzok, Lisa Page. I mean, all of the background stuff that, that went into the investigation and what prompted it in the first place. Here's the problem. Bob Mueller asked for guidance from the Justice Department, and the Justice Department suggested to Bob Mueller, let's keep it within the report. And that stuff, the origins of the investigation, are not in the Mueller report to any degree that will make Republicans happy. So as much as people are going to be paying attention to this tomorrow, I don't, I'd be amazed if anything spectacular came out of it. Coming up next, we've got an update on that double murder along the Alaska Highway in B.C., up there in Canada. Now we've got a suspect Uh could be linked to those murders. Gary and Shannon will come back in just a moment. thing is you gave it your all 
And I don't think you did. I, you don't think I gave it my all? Or I did give it my all? I don't think you did. I, I felt like, I feel like you could have gotten in front of that better. I did let myself, I, I let myself live in my head for a moment. And that took me out of, I should have just let it go, move on. Yeah. Next ball. It's hard to let it go and move on. Next ball. Uh, a little bit later, we're going to get into the uh, story of the FBI search warrants yesterday at the DWP. Turns out that it may be connected to that whole billing system fiasco. Remember the the settlement that they made, a $67 million settlement that uh, DWP had to pay the ratepayers? Well, uh, there was some strange contract stuff that went on after that settlement. We'll talk about that and why the FBI wants to find out more information about that at the uh, top of the hour. We've told you about the murder of China Deese from Charlotte, North Carolina, and her boyfriend, Lucas Fowler, from Sydney, Australia. Experienced travelers, they were shot and killed on the side of a remote highway in British Columbia, about 12 miles from a popular tourist destination. They now have a suspect. This is a guy who's wanted in Texas for the murder of an elderly man there, and they say he crossed into Canada only weeks before this young couple was murdered. Interesting. The, the RCMP has released a composite sketch of a bearded man with fair skin and dark hair. Uh, they have not yet said that that guy is a suspect, but just a witness that they would like to talk to because he was having, the man was uh, had seen having a heated exchange with this young couple the night before their bodies were found. This guy from Texas, if this is the same guy, crossed into Canada sometime the week of June 24th. He's wanted in the death of a 78-year-old man named Burton Sanborn in Eastland County, Texas, on the 26th. Preliminary autopsy results show that this man suffered severe trauma to the head. And the incident is, of course, being investigated as a murder. This guy has a pentagram tattoo on his lower left wrist. You just don't see that very often anymore, do you? No. They say he is traveling with a dog, a large mixed breed dog, possibly German Shepherd and Pitbull or Boxer. He reportedly entered Canada near uh, Haskett, Manitoba, before he traveled to Winnipeg, maybe to the eastern part of the country as well. Now, the, the thing about that is that they are... That, that would be the opposite side of the country. Most of the murders that we're talking about on that highway, we talked yesterday about the missing teenagers, et cetera, and the disappearance of China Deese and her boyfriend, Lucas Fowler. Those were, for the most part, in the western part of Canada, in British Columbia and parts close to that. So Friday, after the bodies of China and Lucas were found, they were searching for those two teenagers, Cam and Briar, 19 and 18 years old. The missing teens believed to have been driving a vehicle that was found in flames, we told you, about 300 miles away from where the couple was murdered. And then just over a mile from their burned-out car, police found another body. The man hasn't been identified yet. They don't know who he is. They actually released a sketch of him to find out more, more about who he could possibly be. But it's is it a coincidence that two people are murdered and then two teenagers go missing and their burnt out car is connected to another body? What the hell's going on here? That's why they're saying serial killer. How can that burned out body not be one of the teenagers? 
I mean, because if they're if the teenagers are missing and yet there's a third guy whose body was burned up near this thing that Mm -hmm. then then I I feel like they would have said something to the effect of it's unclear what the identity of the man is. And but no, they just said they've released a composite sketch in hopes of figuring out who he was. Uh, The RCMP says it is unusual to have two major investigations of this nature happening at the same time in northern British Columbia because it is such a it is so remote out there. I mean, vast swaths of land with very few people in them. If they were able to release a sketch of this guy, of the body, of the of the face of the man found near the burned out car, then they probably know enough to know that he's not one of the missing teenagers, right? Yeah, I if guess. If they know his face. I would hope Enough so. to release a sketch. I would guess. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Do, but... do you smell that? Are you smelling what I'm smelling? Is that your cheese? No, that's football season. Oh, is that what that is? The Los Angeles Chargers training camp opens this Thursday, runs till Friday, August 16th at Jack Hammett Sports Complex in Costa Mesa. Admission is free. It's a great time. We've been out there the past couple seasons. Bolt fans can watch the Chargers practice in person and participate in activities for the entire family. Details at chargers.com slash camp. Bolt up. We uh, we had a sprinting contest last year. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen again. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Because I've been practicing. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh huh. Okay, a couple ups and downs on that basketball court. Who won court, last year? I don't remember. Gary Seriously. won, but he cut off my path. Oh, that's right. There I was, was that ten video. steps ahead of you when I moved over. Totally yeah, cheated. Was, we've got video on our Instagram. You can be the judge of that. But I'm ready for you this year. I'm going to be throwing bows and everything. It's a great time though. There's tons of games out there for kids too. So. This, it is a blast. At this time of year, maybe uh, you're getting the I'm bored a lot at home. Bring the kids out to training camp. It's a fun day. It's also, it tends to be cooler in Costa Mesa. It does. Just by a few degrees. So when uh, when it's going to be 96 with 60% humidity in the valley today, it's going to be uh, a nice break when you go down there and check that out. All, All right. right. Coming up next, Samantha Spurlock and her final moments. There is surveillance footage of her entering a suspect's home in, in her murder investigation. Uh, there's also an update on that Ole Miss student, Allie Costial. Uh, we figured out how she died, and it's not good. Anyway, we'll talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. How about you? You. Because I miss the stupid things that we do. Shannon. Tuesday, it is July 23rd. Next hour, we're going to tell you about a uh, a priest who stole almost $100,000 from the offering baskets in Northern California. Well, yes. Maybe he was going to use the money for good. Right. Maybe he was going to donate it to children. Yeah. Yes. Maybe. Or maybe he had a gambling problem. Uh, Boris Johnson will be the new prime minister. Uh, of the UK, it and I don't remember how this works exactly, but I think he has to go to the Queen, and she has to grant him permission to be the Prime Minister, or something like that. 
I think that's uh, largely symbolic. Yes. Yes. I don't think she's going to say no. She's going to ask him about his hair, I believe. Savannah Spurlock, the mother of four, who was murdered in January, and they just found her, her body this month. They now say they have absolute proof that she was last seen alive going into the home of the man that is now charged in connection with her death. That there is surveillance camera footage that shows Savannah entering David Sparks' home with two other men late on the evening of January 4th. We told you this was a young woman who had just had twins, I believe, in December. She was struggling with that fact uh, that she now has four children. She went out to a bar. She had a a DUI court date coming up on the 5th of January, I believe it was. She did. There were some custody issues with the kids being taken away and given to the bio dad. Um, she went to a bar with her friend, and her friend left. She wanted to go home. Savannah did not. She ends up in a house with these three dudes. Now, that was the last that we saw. Police have announced that they do have video surveillance of her, of Savannah, walking into a house where the main suspect lives. Now now we know the main suspect uh, in her disappearance and murder. And originally... They had surveillance video from the bar that showed her leaving, and it took them a while to identify the three people in the bar. It was in February. Police said that one of the men told them she left that house later in the morning of January 5th, but didn't say how she left. They- David Sparks, the suspect in this case, it should be known that the, he's not charged with murder. No. He's charged in connection with her death. He appeared in court for a prelim to establish probable cause for the charges of tampering with evidence and abuse of a corpse. So they think they just have him for what he did to the body post-murder at this point. Her body was found naked, bound, bundled into trash bags and buried in a shallow grave near a storage shed shed behind his parents' house there in rural Kentucky. But they don't have the evidence that he did the deed. uh, His parents, by the way, his father is a a pastor at Lancaster Full Gospel Outreach Church. It was that pastor who called the police to say, I smell something horrible coming from behind the shed. And when police got there and looked behind the shed, they said that whoever buried the body did such a bad job burying the body that you could still see the black plastic bags without sweeping away any of the dirt like you could still Mm. it it was clear that there was something that had been buried there that in fact turned out to be savannah's body bound and gagged and stuffed in black black plastic bags it's odd that police did do a search of the sparks property back in february and did not find her remains yeah and that that was a suggestion or that led to the suggestion that maybe after the the family's property had been searched that david Sparks then moved the body there, thinking they wouldn't go back there. It's a possibility. Here's another just sick twist to all of this. Um, Many of the people who have been speaking to reporters said they believed that this guy and his buddies just took advantage of uh, a drunk woman that night. That she was so drunk that she couldn't speak. They said it was like she couldn't speak English. They took video of her doing various things, showed it to their friends at work. Now, investigators won't comment on that, on that cell phone video that allegedly exists, because they said if there is any cell phone footage beyond 
the surveillance video that they have, that was not information that they had ever released. So that may have just been coming from uh, people around the neighborhood. But they also said that this Sparks guy was a guy you didn't want to tangle with, that he would uh, lose it if he ever got angry at you. And a lot of these people, when speaking to reporters, did not want their names used because they were afraid of retribution in this uh, small-town area of, uh, of Kentucky, which, I mean, there's not a lot of big-town areas in Kentucky, but sounds like a lot, of these, <clears throat> a lot of these places are not good. Oh, the line about the, the woman hearing the screaming, the screaming in the middle of the night? But she tried to wake up her husband, but he was too drunk. Sounds like a nice area of uh, Kentucky, huh? <sighs> Man, here's another sucky Kentucky story. is said to be beautiful. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, my wife spent a couple of several days there one time visiting a friend in huh. Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. And that's when she came home and declared to me, I like bourbon. She said it very clearly, too. <laughs> uh, University of Mississippi sorority sister uh, who was found dead on a routine police patrol was shot eight times, they're saying. Alexandria Costial, Ali Costial, 21 years old. Her body was found Saturday uh, near a lake about 20 miles away from the Ole Miss campus in Oxford. Her roommate said she returned home at around midnight but left their house again at some point. Don't know how she ended ended up in this uh, remote area where she was found dead. It's like a fishing camp area. Uh, and Buford's Ridge that sounds perfect. She was teaching uh, summer fitness classes on campus, taking some courses. She's getting a bachelor's degree in marketing. Expected to graduate next year. It's apparent foul play was involved, says the sheriff's department, with the eight bullet holes. Yeah, you don't shoot yourself eight times, do you? Uh, all right, we have a. This is the rest of the show is weird. I mean, this those were some bad uh, murder cases, but there's some weird stuff coming up. We alluded to this story yesterday, and we found out a whole lot more about it. Jessica Yaniv, or Jonathan Yaniv, originally is uh, transitioning to Jessica and still has the outdoor plumbing, and went to Canadian salons to get waxed. And they said, well, we don't... We're not going to wax that. We don't do that. And she said, oh, you're discriminating against me because I still have a penis and scrotum. The show is pretty genitalia heavy, I got to be honest, because we also have the the cooler filled with male genitalia to tell you about. Well, it wasn't just male genitalia. There were other parts as well. Can I look at yours too? Yeah, that that would stand out, I would assume. But coming up next, Andrew Mullenbeck will join us all about the search warrant served yesterday at L.A. City Hall and the DWP. What were they looking for? We will have the details when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Shannon. Nick just made me cry. I was asking Blake about the bathroom situation in Romania with a house with 20 people and two bathrooms. Mm-hmm. And then Nick comes in with this follow-up question. Was there toilet paper? What? <laughs> the answer is yes. Yeah. He had the most no. serious look on his face. The answer is no. And Blake came back with six fewer t-shirts for some reason. <laughs> oh. um, touch my left hand. Big stories that we... Uh, <laughs> 
We have been following. Boris Johnson is going to become Britain's next prime minister, former mayor of London. He had his uh, characteristically lighthearted speech where he said even some of his own supporters may wonder quite what they have done. Uh, Russia is in trouble, allegedly violating Japanese airspace and South Korean airspace. In fact, South Korea uh, fired, they said, 360 rounds of warning shots today after a Russian military plane violated South Korean airspace. Bob Mueller is going to bring some backup when he testifies in two House hearings tomorrow. CNN reporting that Bob Mueller is asked to have his deputy sworn in for the hearings to help answer some questions if necessary. Interesting. Okay. Uh, That'll be interesting because... if he's, in fact, staying to, you know, his own words, the four corners of his report. Then his deputy doesn't. His deputy can go outside the, the four corners, Do right? Do we have a name yet? We're going to need to Aaron Zebley. Aaron Zebley is going to get a full background check. And boy, I hope he shows up in those mock hearings that Democrats are planning for tonight. All right. Uh, yesterday, we broke the news that uh, the FBI has gone through and was serving search warrants at the Department of Water and Power headquarters and L.A. City Hall, a couple of other places, to get to the bottom, it appears, to a series of lawsuits that started after the $67.5 million billing overcharge. Andrew Mullenbeck is here to help sort through this. And, uh, man, you got to have a flow chart to figure out what's going on with this, right? Yeah, it would probably work better if we were in print than radio at this point. But we'll give it a shot uh, because the FBI did serve those search warrants. You mentioned DWP headquarters. Then they also went over to City Hall East yesterday. City Hall East is where the city attorney's office is. And the focus is on the DWP's overbilling scandal and the settlement that followed it. And a lot of people remember the DWP came out with this new billing system in 2013, and it way overcharged a lot of ratepayers. And that turned into a big class action lawsuit in which the DWP had to reimburse customers almost $68 million, as you were saying. But here's where it gets dicey. The city filed its own lawsuit against the company responsible for that billing system that screwed up. But the lawyer put in charge of that lawsuit apparently had a major conflict of interest. He had represented a DWP customer in the original class action lawsuit, and then he got tens of millions of dollars worth of no-bid contracts from the DWP to handle the settlement. So uh, huh. the city attorney's office... <laughs> That is just the so city attorney's office blatantly says a did, conflict of interest. I don't know how that right. was able to continue happening. So basically, the city's going after the company for the billing, and they put this lawyer in charge. This same lawyer has been moonlighting for the DWP, getting tens of millions of dollars worth of no-bid contracts. And so that's really at issue here. Of course, the city attorney's office says it didn't know that this guy was playing both sides. Baloney. But- that is grade A baloney. <laughs> Well, and that's what the feds presumably are going to be looking at because they showed up to the city attorney's office yesterday. So they want to know how did this happen? How was the same guy hired by the city to look into the billing scandal when he at the same time or even earlier had been getting tens of millions of dollars in no-bid contracts from the DWP? And so they're trying to sort that out. But all of this... It's, it's not the first time we're hearing of this. In fact, we all know the group Consumer Watchdog. They regularly hold events uh, holding up agencies or public utilities they think might be mismanaging one thing or another. Earlier this year, back in March, 
they had a big news conference about this very thing, all these details that we're going through now. And I went back and just pulled a little bit of that audio because it does sound very relevant to what we're discussing right now. So this is Jamie Cord. He's president of Consumer Watchdog talking about this conflict of interest way back in the spring. The attorneys at issue represented the plaintiff and they represented the city slash DWP in this billing error matter. That is unethical. So back in the spring, I was at that event and, you know, he was kind of pounding his fist on the lectern saying, how in the world could this happen? But we really didn't hear a whole lot more since that time. And now we have these raids uh, yesterday conducting search warrants at a a number of locations, but primarily the, the ones that were headline grabbing were the DWP and the city attorney's office. And it does seem that uh, the focus is the settlement of the original overbilling scandal and really the lawyer who found himself on both sides of the issue. We don't have any reason to believe this is connected to Jose Wiesar and the original raids that happened back in November. Yeah, the Fed have been busy around the Civic Center, but uh, we don't know that there's any connection there. There have been some uh, looking into development deals around City Hall, but at least what we know at this point, it seems like the investigation into the DWP and the overbilling scandal is really focused on that, not kind of separate development deals around the city. So I'm not sure if there is overlap. I don't know of it. It does seem, at least to me at this point, that these are separate things they're looking into. Where did where did the mayor come down on this? Has he had a statement or said anything about any of it? Well, I'm going to be running into him at Dodger Stadium a little later this afternoon. Oh, I can good. ask him. Well, um, yeah, talk, yeah, have, have him talk about him. the incest that goes on between <laughs> L.A. City Hall and the L.A. DWP and the L.A. DWP routinely charging the city more for stuff that it needs to be charging. And who's getting kickbacks at City Hall from those ridiculous contracts? Yeah, just- well, and where it falls in, in his lap is he appoints the board. And so... You know, he might not escape this entirely because if, if he's appointing the, the members of the board and then some activity that they engaged in is found to be not so above board, that does come back to him as well. So that that's where he comes into all of this. And, yeah, we'll run into him later this afternoon. All right. Well, yeah, and who's more powerful, the board of the DWP or City Hall in terms of the uh, money that changes hands? That's just such a mess. Andrew, thank you. Yeah, you have got fun it. at Dodger Stadium. That sounds like I'll a have nicer. a Dodger dog for you. I'm oh. wearing the uh, Dodger polo today for the occasion. Nice. Yeah. You mean the actual Dodger polo or Dodger? No, blue no, polo? it's just blue. Okay. Yeah, well, that's blue. fine. We'll accept that. That's, a, that's payment. All right, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. All right. Speaking of which, uh, he's going to be out there covering the fact that uh, they've announced a hundred million dollar renovation to take place in the off season, and if you, I mean wrap your head around the fact that Dodger Stadium is the third oldest baseball stadium in the major leagues right now. And I believe leads the league again in attendance. So this is great news. What's amazing is they still have room to make some improvements on there. So we'll talk about what it is that you're going to see at Dodger Stadium starting next spring. Gary and Shannon. So why don't you just make me in the middle? In the middle? Shannon, Gavin Newsom decided to put the uh, state's death penalty on a moratorium 
But that does not mean we are saving any money. We'll talk about that coming up in a few minutes. Uh, Dodgers host the Angels tonight at uh, what will be soon an almost brand new Dodger Stadium. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think this is a this is a. It's only a hundred million dollar renovation. But listen, since Guggenheim, right? Since they took over several years ago. They have made some incredible improvements to that to that ballpark. This is going to include a new center field plaza with elevators and bridges that will connect the outfield pavilions to the rest of the stadium. It'll be the first time since the stadium opened that fans will be able to walk the entire perimeter from any level inside the venue. That's nice. The, when you try to go see somebody and they're in a different place, it takes uh, two hours to get yeah, there. And a bus. Yes. Um the entrance to this center field plaza, they're going to have a whole new gate out in center field as well. It's going to feature the Jackie Robinson statue that they're going to move over there. They'll also have the Legends of Dodger baseball plaques out in that area, which is a great place for it. Um, they're talking about this will be the front door. Stan Caston said this will be the front door. It'll be an entertainment plaza that we're building be- below and beyond the pavilions. Food establishments, a beer garden, two sports bars. There will be a children's play area of space for live pregame and postgame music. Fans will be able to watch the game from above a new batter's eye in straightaway center field. They're going to take out the existing speaker structure that they've got in center field. Now going to put a new sound system in. That's good. This is all fantastic news. Um, it's already a very, I think it's a great place to watch baseball. I know it doesn't keep up with a lot of the new, uh, the newer stadiums that have been built around baseball. Part because, of the reason is because it's so old, and there was like what two kitchens or one kitchen or yes, something exists, and all of that's been fixed you've for gotta, the most you've part. You've got to change uh, a lot of the infrastructure just to make it appealable, uh, appealing. Sorry. Uh, the other part about it that I think a lot of people are upset about is it's not facing downtown. I mean, there's a if you stay up on the upper levels, you can get a couple of views of downtown, but a lot of the newer ballparks, at least the ones that were built in the last 20 years or so, 20 or 30 years, they all sit right in their downtown area for the most part, and they're open to the skyline. And I, I this love, was never the place. I love sitting in the upper deck for that reason, because you can go there before the game starts. You can grab your Dodger dog, grab a beer, and just sit on that or stand on that railing there, because it's, it's really pretty if you go for a 7 o'clock start. But the, the other part about it is... So many people see Dodger Stadium on TV, for example, and if the camera shot is behind home plate, you're looking out at the San Gabriel Mountains. It's beautiful. And people it's don't gorgeous. know that that there are mountains here. Right. So when they see it, they go, it doesn't seem like L.A. That- right. That's part of why it's so beautiful. I mean, I, I like the way that that stadium faces. Well, I don't, I don't think they could really put it anywhere else just because of the sun. The right. way the sun is positioned is the way they go through. Um, when they got here, Stan Kasten says, when we got here, being the new ownership group in 2012, we recognized then what remains true today. The design and construction of Dodger Stadium was a work of genius. He says, it's the most beautiful place ever to play or watch the game of baseball. When we got here, there had been 50 years worth of work that needed to be done to make it a 21st century ballpark. And like you said, I mean, the, the fact that they... They didn't have a lot of kitchens. The The locker rooms there were just subpar, to be honest. And they've gone through and redone them. But but along with the outer things that you're going to see, you know, center field plaza, et cetera, they say that they are going to be going through and redoing 
both of the locker rooms, uh, both home and visiting locker rooms, the weight rooms, all of the, uh, you know, under the under the seats, batting cages and stuff like that, that you don't get to see that all of those are going to be redone. And they say it's all going to be done in time for opening day next spring. Well, the Dodgers are hosting the All-Star Game next season. This is the first time since 1980. And Stan Kasten said that getting the game wasn't contingent on making these changes and making them quickly. But he says they're just using the game as an opportunity to make the ballpark shine, that this was the right time. They say that they will maintain its league-high capacity at 56,000 seats and that the picturesque view of Chavez Ravine will not be disrupted. They said that the most important thing during this process was that when you're sitting in your seat at Dodger Stadium, whether you're on the field level or the top deck, it's going to look the same as it did before. That's that good. The Dodger Stadium view from foul pole to foul pole is timeless, iconic. They did not want to change that. Well, that if nothing else, that, what do you call it, the, the cantilevered, roof over the pavilion seats out there yes that you can't change no that. you cannot that you cannot touch and i'm glad that they're smart enough to not do that um so damn yeah. andrew mullenbeck for well, bringing up dodger dogs damn yeah. him <laughs> didn't you ask him to bring you one i did not you oh know yeah what, right. you know what i don't like i don't like cold dodger dogs i gotta mm. get it i gotta yeah. get when it's hot what's what's wrong with the, that i'm sorry how could that be taken another way i don't know I, Who likes cold hot dogs? Nobody does. That's disgusting. Right. You want them hot. Uh-huh. Uh, there are uh, meat sticks back there. That's different. Obviously, meat sticks are better cold. What are you writing down? <laughs> I didn't say that. I know you didn't, but uh, that's what I heard oh, when okay. you said, nobody likes a cold hot dog. And then I heard I heard this. Hold on, Joe. I'm going to let I you. I want to see it. Yeah. Oh jeez. Well, listen. I stick my <laughs> All I asked was about the hot dog. I stick my foot in my mouth. Wow. Enough as it is. We don't wow. need to force me into it when I'm walking the straight and narrow over here. <laughs> straight and narrow. Yeah. Blown through life. You got a ticket today. Living a That's not life walking the straight and narrow. <laughs> Nobody got hurt. You're like 11 on the FBI's most wanted list now. You're just you just below the cutoff for making your, you know, putting your picture up in a post office somewhere. All right, coming up next. This guy's picture can be right next to mine, and he's a priest. A priest who took some money from the church. We'll get into it. I was like, like so went to the same Catholic school that you did. All right. All right. All right. Easy. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. <laughs> I'm getting them good vibes. I'm living this good life. I'm breathing on God's time. And I ain't gonna waste one breath. I'm Gary so and Shannon, guys, we told you about everything that's going on along the Alaska Highway in British Columbia about the girl from Charlotte, North Carolina and her Australian boyfriend that were shot and killed and then there were two teens that were reported missing and they had a burned out car that was left behind and a a man's body was found about a mile from that burned out vehicle. Well, now CNN's reporting that those two missing teens considered suspects in all three murders. The couple... And the man's body found by their burnt-out car. What? That's a twist. That would explain why the burned-out body was not them. 
Yes, it would. Uh, because they're the ones who did it. I mean, allegedly, if this is uh, if this goes through. But that's crazy. Uh, Both 19 years old, correct? Uh, one is 18, one is 19. Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski. Cam is the 19-year-old. Um, they... Police have, they said on Friday they launched a search for those two teenagers. But at the time, I don't even know if they considered them suspects. But now they're saying they do consider them suspects. The two were traveling to Whitehorse in the Yukon to look for work and had not been in contact with their families for the past few days. No cell phone coverage in parts of this area. Well, that is interesting. They still haven't identified the, the, the man's body that was found near their burnt-out car. They haven't determined the cause of death or anything like that. Uh, what we told you last hour was that there was a Texas guy wanted for murder who did go to Canada, and they were thinking maybe that could be a suspect in all of this, but he's not. We don't know how this changes the, uh, the search for that guy uh, from Texas also. But again, it looks like the teenagers that were originally reported missing are now potentially suspects of homicide when it comes to the uh, the couple from uh, from the United States and Australia. There was also an arrest in the case of the 21-year-old University of Mississippi student who was shot eight times, killed over the weekend. They've got a guy, uh, also uh, a, a young man, I believe from, I'm sorry, I just had it here, where he went to school, but also a senior in college. I think he's from Texas. Well, uh, there is a priest who got in trouble after a car accident, and he broke his hip. Father Oscar Diaz, 56 years old, uh, bashed up his hip in a car crash in June, middle of June. He was a pastor at Resurrection Roman Catholic Parish in Santa Rosa. Yeah, the EMTs, uh, you know, got him out of the car, and they go, hey, uh, what's, uh, what's that canvas bag with a dollar sign on it? And he says, oh... The, those bags of money? <laughs> That's my salary. The money totaled more than $18,000. The money was transported to the ER with Father Diaz. Right. I mean, you figure it would it was his, right? And a uh, hospital employee alerted the police. How dare you? How dare you call the police on a man a, of the cloth? Pastor. Further investigation uncovered 15 bags containing more than $77,000 in cash in his guy's uh, car, office, and home. (laughs) Stacks of hundreds. Apparently, the police say the money had been taken from collection plate offerings between September and June. And that's I'm going to pull the car over. Yeah. How many months is that? September September and June? Nine months? All right. $77,000 in nine months? That is a successful parish. Furthermore, who is uh, who's putting hundreds in that collection plate? I mean, on a good day, we'd put a five in there, but usually it's one, maybe a couple dollars, maybe a couple tens, maybe a couple tens. Yeah. Wow. Why are you guys so stingy? <laughs> Apparently, it was a more than ninety five thousand dollars in total. Yeah, yeah. ninety five thousand dollars between September and June. Vasa and Diaz. Vasa being the um, uh, the pastor or the uh, belongs to the archdiocese there. He says that Oscar Diaz admitted he'd been taking collection funds from other parishes in California where he had been serving as pastor, including uh, St. Mary Immaculate in Lakeport and Our Lady Queen of Peace in Clear Lake. 
and it's not clear the extent of theft, and they're saying that it may never fully be known. He had, was ordained by the diocese in Santa Rosa 25 years ago. So there's a whole bunch of people that potentially gave all kinds of money to the church that this guy was ended up putting in his bag. What I found funny was one of these people uh, suggested, this is a guy from working for the archdiocese, suggested that uh, the bishop says, could he argue that he was using this as a collection for the poor and he was going to keep it and distribute it to the poor? Yes. It's, he says, yes, it's unlikely and it would be a violation of policy, but is it not clear, criminal? Is it clear legal evidence of theft? Exactly. And he says it's just not even easy to prove. Do you, His I diocese claims that he might not be charged because of the police's reluctance to pursue a criminal investigation. Right. Mm-hmm. But how in the world do you then have confidence? Ooh, Whatever money, whoever was dropping Benjamins into the offering plate at this Catholic church, don't you think they're going to be a little more reluctant to do so now? I don't think that they were. I don't think that the hundreds were from the collection plate. I believe that those were uh, that he had taken that money and then, you know, kind of laundered it or whatever or, you know, put it, you know, put it in an account and then taken out hundreds. He went to one of those coin stars. I've got a question. What was he using those hundred dollar bills for? Hmm. Helping the poor. Right. There could be, if I was a defense attorney, <laughs> if I was a defense attorney, I would argue. I don't that, like it when you do this because you turn out to be right. That my client observed gross, gross mismanagement of money in the diocese. Okay. And decided that it was not being used to help the poor. It was not being used in the way that it should be used when people give money to the church and that he was going to bypass all the corruption that went on in the diocese and go and distribute the money as he saw fit, giving it to the poor and whatnot. He was just waiting on how to... He was just figuring out how to put his plan into into action. He was just waiting to pick the place he wanted to go vacation. No, that's not part of my uh, defense. Yeah, you're, you're ruining her defense <laughs> argument here. That's, uh, that's not going to make it into court. Uh of course, you cannot write. Uh, the San Francisco Chronicle does this whole story. The diocese did suspend Diaz. He had to undergo surgery after uh, busting up his hip in the car crash because of the embezzlement investigation. Um, they're talking about uh, the diocese fiscal practices, examines how open it is to sharing information about donations. Mm-hmm. And they do talk about a very specific protocol around the accounting for collection plates i mean where does that stuff go when they pass that plate or that bucket down the aisle who is it that's in charge of counting transporting every diocese is is different right and and what they're saying is they're going to go through and and check their rules and see if it has anything to do with according to the san francisco chronicle the sexual assault payouts that they've had that just about every diocese has had to uh, deal with in the last couple of decades how do we know that the the protocol at this church was was not having uh, uh, Father Diaz take the money? Oh, I would say because they've suspended him uh, while they investigate potential embezzlement. I don't know why you keep trying to criminalize a man of the the, the cloth. Okay, are you serious? Do I need to? I'm just going to reiterate any story we've done about the Catholic Church in the last 15 years. I'll just, I'll just just search 
Just search. Just type in the Googs machine right there. Just type in Catholic Church. Tell me what comes up. Coming up next, Gavin Newsom and his death penalty moratorium. Is it saving the state some cash? Of course not. Why would you think it was? There's one thing that can save California money. They're still putting people on death row. Death row is still open for business. It still costs more to house inmates there. Yeah, they just, just locked not, the exit them door. That's it. Gary and Shannon will continue. Who wrote this? look now but uh this guy is going to be the new prime minister of the united kingdom dude dude boris johnson former mayor of london uh was elected today take over the uh, conservative leadership and he'll become the prime minister dude and uh is going to be quite a personality to watch on the international stage that's for sure well, Bob Mueller has said he'll stick to his script, his 400-page report, and not go out of bounds with that. But now he's asking permission to bring along one of his deputies who worked on the administ- uh, the investigation. And uh, this deputy has made no such pledge that he would stick to what's in those 400 pages. Maybe this deputy gets uh, before the House Judiciary Committee and starts uh, opining about what the report means and maybe goes a little bit outside the parameters that have been set. Well, I, I, the, again, that tomorrow you're going to be hearing it live on KFI when Bob Mueller takes the stand in front of, uh, I guess you call it that, or is, takes the witness table ahead of the House Judiciary Committee and the House Intelligence Committee um, and answers questions about his report. So the governor, Gavin Newsom, puts this moratorium on the death penalty because of feelings. He right. doesn't want anyone to die on his watch. He doesn't want the government, although he didn't say this I think he should have said this, that maybe he doesn't believe in the government killing people. And while it's on his watch, he doesn't want to be a party to it. But instead, he got up before the cameras and he talked about uh, meeting people on death row and how they're really nice people and didn't talk about the victims at all. So anyway, he puts this moratorium in order. And now they're wondering why prosecutors in California aren't stopping to pro- aren't stopping capital cases. That capital cases, death penalty cases, cost far more than non-death penalty cases. Well, Governor Newsom is going to be governor for, what, four years? Do you know how long it takes a death penalty case to come to fruition? Years, decades after all the appeals and everything, they're not going to stop prosecuting capital cases because this governor who's going to be here for a blink of an eye has put a moratorium on it. Maybe the next governor removes it outright. Maybe the next governor believes in the death penalty. I doubt it. Or maybe the next governor sticks to his guns instead of Gavin Newsom and says, I will abide by the vote of the people. Remember, he said, even though he was behind Prop 62... Was it, yeah, it was 62 that would have repealed the death penalty. He was behind that, and it lost. And he said, I will go by the will of the people. And he didn't. And he didn't do that. There's a plan now to put another, this time a constitutional amendment on the ballot uh, in 2020 that would ban the death penalty, just completely out, do away with it outright here in the state. 
and make it not even an option for prosecutors. And people have said that they are in contact with Newsom's office and they're going to try to make this one work. It's not going to happen. Listen to this guy, Robert Dunham. He's executive director of the Death Penalty Information Center. Okay. He says that he doesn't like the fact that prosecutors continue to pursue capital cases. He says the moratorium stops executions. It doesn't stop the machinery of death from moving forward. Like it's the prosecutors that are are the the instruments in the machinery of death. Like it's not the people who committed these despicable crimes, the worst of the worst, that started the machinery of death on its forward march. Your horse's ass. Let's not forget this. Uh, 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 Tom Lackey, uh, the assemblyman from Palmdale, says this, and I think this is one thing that people like uh, that Robert Dunham, Gavin Newsom, all these people, they don't understand. Every one of the victims at the hands of these people that are on death row, 720 men at San Quentin, 24 women at, in Chowchilla. Every one of the victims at the hands of these people had their life brought to an unfair ending. Many of them were clearly tortured in the final moments of life. That sense of brutality needs to not be forgotten and dismissed. Yeah. That's the that Why is it that when Gavin Newsom gets up there and talks about halting the death penalty because he wants to save 710 men and 24 women from from a a, a somewhat quick and pretty painless death why doesn't he mention of those 734 people the number of people that they killed and how they did not have the same pleasure of going to sleep and having their heart stop at what point in california did we start arguing for the rights of murderers of serial killers of violent rapists murderers why did we why did we start arguing for their rights and forget about the victims who's standing up for the victims up there what when did that become in vogue to care about people on death row and if they're nice people or not having gavin newsom get up there and 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 talk about how he met people on death row that uh well he's a nice guy he killed his mother uh, 30 years ago but he's a nice guy now and you know what shucks i just can't I just can't stand by and watch when I'm sitting in this governor's chair, his life go out of his eyes. I just can't do it because he's a nice guy. When did that start becoming normal and not insanity? At the risk of pushing you over the edge, because I know you've already had a rough day, the state Supreme Court is looking at a case right now where defense attorneys are trying to block capital murder trials while the moratorium is in effect. Okay, still still not going so far as to abolish the death penalty. It's a losing argument because Gavin Newsom's only in office for four years. Well, listen to death penalty cases take decades. Listen to how this argument is going on behalf of defense attorneys. They're saying that lawyer there's a guy facing five capital murder charges right now. They are arguing that jurors cannot fairly decide to put someone to death while the moratorium is in place because the jurors would be unable to assume a death sentence would actually result in execution. So they would be unable to comprehend fully the gravity of their decision. You put it in the jury instructions. And say what? Say that there is a currently a moratorium. Currently there's a moratorium, and- but that should not have any 
impact on your decision because, because we don't still, know when that's going to that we don't know when that's going to end. The law on the books is still allowing for capital punishment and a death penalty to be a death penalty to be handed down. It's just that it wouldn't eventually the finality of it would never be imposed potentially just because of this moratorium. Yeah. How he's gotten away from this is uh, is strange to me. How somebody doesn't bring this up every single time he is in public is uh, is strange to me. All right. Anyway, when we come back, you no, know, we should go through the the most brutal killers on death row. We should do that. I think people, uh, it's like sanitized a little bit. Well, there's 710 stories that date back to the 70s, probably in some cases, and I don't. Know. I'm not happy. It just gets it gets watered down. And when you've got a governor standing up there and talking about how somebody's a nice guy, despite the fact they killed their mother and a couple other people. 30 or how years about ago. this? How about somebody in Gavin Newsom's office who says this? They say, you know what? Here's the thing. Why don't we? I, I know you want to do this, Mr. Uh, Mr. Governor. But but, sir, let me read to you one case right. a day to remind you why these people are on death row. There's got to be somebody in the office who is at least. Pro-death penalty. All right. All right. All right. Trending. Up next, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everything well, everyone's talking about. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm fine. No, you're not. I think you need to go for a walk. All right, I'll go for a walk. All right. Gary and Shanna will continue right after she gets back from her walk. Transgender activism is on the plate in the one o'clock hour. There is a trans woman in Canada that has been testifying at hearings this week about what she says is discrimination. She wants female beauticians to be forced to wax her genitalia, which she retains, the male genitalia. And the beauticians say, well, we shouldn't be forced to touch your male genitalia well if she identifies as a she wouldn't they be her male genitalia yes but they still are I mean, male not, they are, are her they male genitalia traditionally male and i think that proves her point you are assigning a gender to a penis see Gymnastics. It's going to hurt your Mental brain. Mental gymnastics every time. I am warming up that genderbred person right now. What's going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, even in uh, the new Twitter setup, you can find all of those stories that are trending right now. And one of them trending around the world happens to be Boris Johnson, one of Britain's most famous, most divisive politicians led to uh, the governing the Conservative Party. He will become the next prime minister in just over uh, about 24 hours. Ian Pennell works for ABC in London. Joseph once said this, my chances of being prime minister are about as good as the chances of finding Elvis on Mars. But just now, he has been chosen to be the next leader of his party and therefore prime minister. It's hugely controversial and divisive. Johnson is a populist who plays to the crowd as this posh, bumbling joker, never shy when things go wrong in front of the camera, which they often do. But just as America is deeply divided, so is Britain. And perhaps no one is liked or loathed as much as Johnson. 
And this is a uh, soundbite machine. Does that sound familiar? No one's is liked or is loathed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these guys are going to get along very well. And I think uh, I'm speaking of President Trump and Boris Johnson. Uh, the big deals, he's got two giant issues that he's got to deal with right away when he gets to 10 Downing Street. And that's going to be uh, not just Brexit with the deadline coming on October, but also uh, the immediacy of the problems in the Persian Gulf with Iran capturing a, a British-flagged uh, tanker. A twist in a multiple murder investigation in Canada. Canadian police now say those two missing teenagers, they think they're suspects in that double murder of the woman from Charlotte, North Carolina, and her Australian boyfriend. And, and they are not joking around about this. I was just checking out uh, the Canadian broadcasting company, the CBC, write-up on this. They said that these 18- and 19-year-old guys are considered armed and dangerous. If you see them, take no action. Do not approach them. Call 911 immediately. Terrifying. Well, there were some video clips posted online that show New York police officers getting drenched as they're in the middle of making arrests. People who soaked uniform officers with buckets of water there in Brooklyn and Manhattan. The chief of the department said our detectives are looking into this and we will identify who was involved. Arrests will be made. This is not acceptable. Uh, Terrence Monahan is the highest ranking uniformed cop in the NYPD. And um, the, the chief of the department, that's who he is, said this interesting thing. There were a couple of incidents where this played out, by the right. way, where, where somebody... Somebody would dump water. Again, it's 150 degrees in New York. People are playing in the fire hydrants. That's why they originally started, uh, why they were in the neighborhoods. But they do foot patrols there much more so than we do here. And in one of those cases, uh, Chief Monahan said they were responding, dealing with an incident. As they're walking away, someone thought it was all right to take a bucket of water, toss it over a co- the top of a cop's head. And any cop who thinks that's all right, that they can walk away from something like that. Maybe they should reconsider whether or not this is the profession for them. We don't take that, which is interesting because I'm not sure if that if if Terrence Monaghan is suggesting that the cops should have turned around and kicked some ass. I'm not sure what he's suggesting, but uh, he's basically telling his officers next time, don't walk away. You know, get these guys for something. It could be about assault. Hmm. Maybe. Assault on a peace officer? To me, it almost... Oh, clearly, it's going to be assault on a peace officer. To me, it it takes more guts for them... To walk away. To turn around and walk away from the situation without putting up a fight right right away. But we should be criminalizing this, an attack on an officer. Yes. We shouldn't be letting people poop in the streets in San Francisco, and we shouldn't be letting people put buckets of water on cops in New York. They're things not to turn your head around. Terrence Monaghan did say, listen, our detectives are the greatest in the world. We're going to... Because there's video all over the place now. That's the other part that idiots uh, tend to gravitate towards is publicizing their idiocy. Speaking of idiocy, a woman and two men now facing several criminal charges in connection with that fight that turned violent as hell at (laughs) Disneyland and caught on camera. Avery Desmond Robinson of Vegas facing nine felony charges, nine misdemeanors for attacking his sister, his brother-in-law, and girlfriend. That's not funny. Because there was a child mixed up in all of this, and they said that the child was endangered at some other point as well. So, Well, we all have felt jealous feelings in our past, probably. This woman was no different. She threw a laptop at her boyfriend's head on a packed plane. 
because he was looking at other women. It was an expletive-filled fight between the couple as other passengers on this American Airlines lived through it. The unidentified woman screamed as the plane sat at their gate at Miami International on Sunday afternoon. You want to try to effing look at other women? Nah. F you. I I wear the effing nuts. What? You watch till we effing get home. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say he's not going home with her. I wear the effing nuts. Like truck nuts? Like she has the uh, cojones in the relationship. You ever uh, caught a a man, a boyfriend, uh, checking out another uh, lady? Yes. I mean. What? No. Sure. And? You can appreciate the beauty of somebody else. That was my argument. It's true. I mean, has <laughs> nice, has my husband Mark. seen me checking out Johnny Damon? Yes. Uh, did you know that Johnny Damon is going to be on Below Deck Mediterranean? Stop it. Is that a true story? I swear. When? I don't know. I just saw the tease for it last night. Wait, who's Johnny Damon? Never mind. I Looking was registering for my wedding. Yeah. At a pottery barn in Sacramento. And he walked in? No! Oh. I'm telling the story. I'm going back to the original. Oh, got it. And We're not talking said, about Johnny Damon anymore. And my wife said, you know, you could take a picture. It lasts longer. Yeah. I was like, I didn't see her in her sweater. I didn't see I didn't it. see her blue sweater. <laughs> her blue eyes. It was bright red. Flowing <laughs> hair. This I, guy? Johnny Damon? Don't. Hey, looks you watch your like mouth. Captain okay, Caveman? Just... Especially oh, like... actually, sorry. I see now. Yeah. Especially look at look up like two thousand four Johnny okay, Damon. Okay, stand by two thousand four. Oh All right, we'll take a break. Yeah, what do you have? Oh All yeah, I got to do the news. Cheddar sticking out underneath Ooh, his hat. Oh yeah, see what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> male genitalia. When we you, come well, back. how about Terry Hatcher? What do you think of her? That was twenty five years ago. I'm just saying <laughs> we can appreciate others' beauty without being out of line. I think. All right. I'm going to go take another walk. Why are you you're going to get me in so much more trouble? <laughs> I appreciate that. Thanks. Shannon. It's getting gamier in Puerto Rico, where a judge has issued search warrants for the cell phones of government officials that were tied to that online chat that leaked and sparked a really a political crisis in Puerto Rico with thousands, tens of thousands in the streets demanding the governor to resign after his chauvinistic, misogynistic, anti uh anti-gay rantings that were leaked out. Oh, and the fact that he mismanaged a bunch of uh, hurricane money. Well, there's that. There's that also. Uh, The other story that we just found out about was that uh, authorities in Canada now believe that two teenagers they were looking for, 19-year-old Cam McLeod and 18-year-old Briar Schmigelski, that they are considered suspects in the murders of at least three people, including a woman from uh, from North Carolina. She and her 
boyfriend from Australia were traveling around the country there in Canada and turned up dead. There was a, another body that was also found near the teenager's burned-out van, burned-out truck, I guess. And uh, they're saying that the teenagers were responsible for that guy's death as well. Coming up after Joe's news at the bottom of the hour, we will dive into Swamp Watch because Bob Mueller may stick to his script tomorrow for Mueller Day, but his little friend might not. He's asked to bring a deputy along with him. And Republicans are a little hesitant uh, about this, or a little nervous about what this deputy will be singing about tomorrow. The uh, the remember the story about uh, body parts at UCLA that were being mismanaged. There is a story out of Phoenix that brings back a lot of memories of that. Uh, there are 33 plaintiffs that now say a company called Biological Resource Center lied to the families of dead uh, to the families. Of the bodies that they got and and treated the deceased with a lack of dignity or respect. The center specialized in accepting the bodies of people after they had died and in exchange offering their families free pickup of the bodies plus the cremated remains of the body parts the company did not sell. Yes, there is a body parts industry. There is a regulatory free zone in Arizona for the body parts industry. Yeah, a lot of people, I guess, when they decided that they would turn over their body, uh, turn over the loved ones' bodies to Biological Resource Center through body donation, they assumed that it would be like organ donation, which we think of here in California, where once you you die or you're on life support and you're not going to make it, they can use various parts of you to help other people who need your parts. That's not what this is. This is taking a body after death, in some cases taking it apart, and then selling those parts to different places, whether it's uh, labs for testing or high schools or colleges for, uh, for dissection, that sort of thing. What they found, what the FBI f- agents found during a raid on this uh, body donation business, I'll just go down a quick little list here. Mm. A head sewn onto a mismatched body, a bucket of limbs... And a cooler filled with penises. Could you imagine if you're the FBI agent and that's what you find? Special Agent Mark Krynar is his name, and he said he personally observed various unsettling scenes. He said many of the body parts he saw were piled on top of one another with no apparent indication, identification to indicate what bodies they came from or to whom they belonged. In addition to the cooler filled with penises, he also saw a large torso with the head removed and replaced with a smaller head strewn together like Beetlejuice. Uh, large male torsos with limbs and genitalia removed, That's buckets right. and coolers with various body parts, including heads, arms, and legs, steel freezers with body parts inside with no apparent identification. By the way, the guy who ran this whole thing? Yeah. A guy named Gore. I was just going to ask about him. Stephen Gore. What do we know about him? Uh, He's a bad person. But he also says he kind of blames some of this on the fact that the Arizona, like you said before, is sort of this, you know, regulation-free zone when it comes to body parts and body processing. He said he really had... He had no formal regulations for reference or guidance on how to handle his business. Well, then don't get into the business, dumbass. Well, I think that's why he got into the business in Arizona, because it's a regulatory-free zone, and he could operate the business despite not having any idea how to do it. Yeah, and if you want to capitalize on people who, you know, want to 
help out, write in their will, give my body to the Biological Resource Center, they don't understand that they're going to take your knee out and sell it for 375 bucks, or carve your pelvis apart from the rest of your body and sell your pelvis for 400 bucks. Yeah, organ donation and body donation are not the same thing. Oh. Here's a price list. You want to hear a price list? What these body parts go for? Sure, why not? A whole body with no shoulders or head can get you about three grand. Torso with a head, about $2,400. A whole spine for 950 a spine. A whole leg, eleven hundred. A foot, four fifty. Oh. A knee, three seventy five, and a pelvis, four hundred. <laughs> See, on, not on the list are penises, right? right which which is, is why they were in the discard bucket, right? I mean, there may be a very specialized market for those, but I imagine they probably are, you know, dime a dozen. I bet you could buy that somewhere. I bet Ray Lopez. Could find uh, somewhere on the dark web just because he's researched before. I bet he could find a, a, a very dark corner of the internet where that's a real thing. Bob Mueller is going to testify tomorrow when we come back. Serena Marshall is going to join us once again as we get closer to Mueller Day. Mm. Gary and Shannon will continue with Swamp Watch. <laughs> Johnson going to become the next prime minister of the UK, former mayor of London. Kind of laughed his way through a pretty lighthearted speech today. Uh, Russia is in trouble. Japan is pretty mad, but so is South Korea. I guess a Russian military plane violated Japanese airspace and South Korean airspace. South Korea said its jets fired 360 warning shots uh, earlier today. And of course, told you earlier about the FBI raids on the DWP and City Hall. I guess this is all aftermath of the overbilling settlement that took place. Investigators looking for evidence of bribery, kickbacks, extortion, mail fraud, money laundering, all kinds of stuff in the DWP and in City Hall as well. It's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Well, it is Muller Day Eve, if you will. Muller Day minus one. Bob Muller, of course, who oversaw the investigation into the Russians meddling in the 2016 election. And did the president at the time, the candidate Trump, interfere with the Russians? Or was he in cahoots with the Russians to interfere? We had that 400-page report, and Bob Mueller said, listen, that's my report, and I'm sticking to it. I'm not going to go outside the scope of that report. Well, we'll see how things go tomorrow when he testifies before the Judiciary Committee and the Intelligence Committee. Serena Marshall is joining us from Washington, reporting for ABC News and for KFI. 
And Serena, how does this change if he can bring his uh, one of his deputies along with him? Well, what's interesting, those are still negotiations, Gary, that are going on up here on Capitol Hill. It's a new development. Mueller has asked members of both committees to not just bring his deputy, Aaron Zebley, with him to appear, but to have Aaron Zebley appear as a witness. That means he would be sworn in to both of those committees, and they would be allowed to ask him questions. Now, there are the, the committees themselves aren't sure if they're going to allow that at this time because they weren't, it's kind of a curveball, if you will, because they weren't planning on being able to ask him questions, but only direct questions to Robert Mueller. So that is a negotiation that is still ongoing on here on Capitol Hill with uh, just about, where are we, like 20 hours away? No, 15 hours. Uh, math isn't my strong suit and this uh, moment right now. <laughs> I, uh, I would think that Democrats would like this because Bob Mueller has said, as we've talked about yesterday, too, uh, has said that he won't uh, deviate from that from that report that is already in the hands of Americans and Congress. Uh, but this guy seems like he's a bit of a wild card that maybe he could opine further about things that are in the report. And that's a question. That's why they haven't agreed yet if they'll let him come up and be sworn in. It seems at this moment they're leaning toward allowing him to come up and be uh, at the witness stand as a counsel. But counsels aren't often sworn in. So in that case, Robert Mueller could confer with him before answering a question. But you're right. He didn't make that declaration. But we do know the Department of Justice uh, did write a letter to Mueller telling him yesterday to stick only to his report, as he said he would. Now, along those lines, sticking to his report, Republicans have said they're going to ask about the origins of the investigation, the origins of, for example, uh, the FISA warrant on Carter Page. Was there enough reference to that in that report uh, where where that would actually come out, where they're going to talk about that at all? Or would the uh, would Bob Mueller say, listen, I'm only here to talk about the report itself? Well, there definitely was the background information of how it came to be as part of the report. I mean, we already know some of these th- this information. It was in 2013 that Carter Page was first approached by Russian national and the FBI had later accused of being a Kremlin spy. Uh, and he was secretly recorded in April of 2013 talking with another accused spy about efforts to recruit Page as an intelligence source. So we know how some of this background came to be and how it, how it perpetuated, but that is a good question of whether or not Republicans will try and get Mueller to deviate. Remember, Mueller is used to being on Capitol Hill. He's been uh, before committees more than 80 times in his tenure as being in the government. That's as many as as most, if not more, than most people have ever testified before Congress. He's one of the most experienced witnesses. He's an experienced prosecutor. So this isn't going to be hard for him necessarily, especially as someone who is prepared as much as he has. In fact, his spokesperson tells us he's been preparing for weeks, uh, even uh, with members of the former special counsel's team. Yeah, he's been preparing for weeks, and we found out the Democrats are going to go through a, their closed a mock, door a mock, mock questioning. Yeah, come on, that can't be very fun to sit through. Uh, there's also, uh, you know, the Republican war room preparing for this too. So both sides are are getting gearing up for Mueller Day tomorrow. All right. Well, Mueller happy Day. Mueller yeah. Eve to you, Serena. I don't think it'll be as exciting as Christmas Eve. <laughs> I don't think so either. Have fun with your Mueller cake tomorrow. and <laughs> I'm expecting a delivery now, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. The last thing I want is a cake with Bob Mueller's mug on top Oh, of yeah. It. Wouldn't be the only one, I guarantee. All right, Serena, thank you. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the budget deal that was reached um, because it looks like there will be no shutdown, at least not anytime soon. 
And what we can expect in this debate coming up a week from today. Oh, I can't uh, wait. Edge of your seat. But Kamala Harris and Cory Booker are going to tag team on Joe Biden when it comes to his uh, mm. 1994 crime bill. Thank you for that visual. What? Gary and Shannon. Joe Biden in wrestling tights? Yeah. Trying to fend off both a Cory Booker and a Kamala Harris? Hit me like a A bill extending funding for the 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund has just been approved by the Senate. It was uh, recently approved by the House. It extends funding for decades. Some conservative Republicans were complaining about the expected costs, suggesting that this was essentially a blank check. The president is expected to sign the measure. I don't know how... Uh... I don't know how he gets out from under this budget plan as we get into the campaign. We talk about deficit spending and just ridiculous amounts of debt that we have. Uh, the, about a week from now is when we're expected to see uh, Democrats take the stage once again. Ten one night, ten the next. So that means there's a few stragglers out there who are going to be fighting for the scraps. Yeah, because uh, come September, the candidates are going to have to have... 130,000 unique donors and at least 2% of support in four polls to qualify for that next round of debates. So this is going to be where you see the jockeying for attention. Yeah, someone's going to interrupt again. Uh, I don't know if Marianne Williams, I don't remember which night she goes. Uh, Marianne Williams night one that. is, uh, I'm not, yeah, no, I'm not sure. I just know the top polling candidates. So night one is Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. And then the so next then, night is Biden and Harris. Got it. Okay. So they're the closing act. Um, Joe Biden is going to be facing questions from both Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and probably the others, but they're the two who have been most vocal about the crime bill, the 1994 crime bill that he helped write. And tonight, in a speech in New Orleans, he is expected to reverse several uh, positions now that he says basically just do not jibe with the modern Democratic Party, uh, he would call for an end to the disparity that placed stricter sentencing terms on offenses involving crack versus powder cocaine, as well as an end to the federal death penalty, which the 1994 crime bill authorized as a potential punishment for an increasing number of crimes. So these uh, the, the the things that he's talking about, again... It's not like the crime bill was written in 1894. This was 1994. And granted, it's 25 years ago. The Democratic Party has shifted quite a bit, even just in the last 12 months compared to the last 25 years. But one of the things that he is doing is trying to make sure that he does not lose black voters to the two highest profile black candidates that are running in uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. By the role, though, in the writing of that 1994 crime bill is the thing that keeps coming up. It's the one real card that they think they can play. Kamala Harris, of course, played the busing card, but that didn't I mean, as much as it made a headline for her after the first debate, I don't think it made a huge inroad for her in terms of trying to chip away at whatever policies and uh, plans that he has. 
I'm interested to see how uh, Elizabeth Warren does because she did not share the stage with other top polling candidates and she will be alongside Pete Buttigieg, which seems he seems to have a bit of a momentum and Bernie Sanders uh, last year. Both Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders privately agreed not to attack one another during their campaigns. So we'll see how that ceasefire holds up in the debate. Why would they agree to do that? I don't know, to aim higher or some crap. I wonder if that's because they didn't believe there would be 25 other people on the debate stages with them. Maybe. But they're going to have to they're going to have to separate. Yeah. Uh, speaking of candidates, Beto O'Rourke is the latest to drop the whole Nazi thing on Donald Trump. He's getting a little tired. He was speaking to ABC News yesterday and said, President Trump is a racist. What we saw in North Carolina last week was almost an impromptu Nuremberg rally. You know, when you've got to go with the my family owned slaves narrative one week and then trot out the Nazis the next week, you are desperate. You are desperate for attention. And it's so transparent. He says it's keeping uh, sorry, it's in keeping with the president who describes Mexican immigrants as rapists and criminals who describes asylum seekers as animals or an infestation, and who says that Klansmen are very fine people. It's very clear the path that he is taking us on. Listen, I don't agree with the things he said, but I also know how to keep them in context and not conflate the things that he said to say all immigrants are rapists and criminals or all asylum seekers are animals or an infestation or all Klansmen are very fine people. Yeah, every one of those three statements that the president said when he was a candidate or as president – they were stupid things to say, but you. But if if you're if you are believing that Beto O'Rourke, uh, in terms of him painting those conversations that way, God, it's it. There's so little reality in the the things that people are saying about each other, whether it's cross party you know, like this or within the party. The Democrats going after each other. You just touched on this, but can we check up on boring but important budget details? Yeah. Mitch McConnell told the president privately last month that no politician has ever lost an election for spending more money. Uh, That mindset, caring about the election more than the uh, next generation, I guess you could say, could help explain why they endorsed a budget deal still needs to pass Congress, but that would raise spending limits by $320 billion. This is the moment. Ah! It would raise the limits $320 billion while suspending the federal debt ceiling until after 2020, until after Mitch McConnell and the president both have passed re-election. There was a, uh, a headline that I saw today that said that this was the day the Tea Party died. The Tea Party, the fiscally conservative, uh, uh, almost primarily fiscally conservative version of the Republican Party, this is the day they died because there are more people. They will have enough support to get this budget through, even though there are members who said that this is not the way we should be doing this. The Trump administration estimates that the deficit this fiscal year is going to top $1 trillion dollars. A little perspective. Last year it was seven hundred seventy nine billion, and when Obama left, it was five eighty seven billion. The uh, the Freedom Caucus has taken up the uh, the mantle of the what was left of the Tea Party, and like you said, that the debt going up, the debt has grown from just under twenty trillion 
when Donald Trump took office to over $22 trillion. Mandatory spending remains the largest driver of the deficits, of course. Um, well, and with all the, the tax cuts, they're taking in less, too. Right. But this isn't a president who's going to worry about balance, balancing the budget. You well, know, this isn't Jerry Brown. This is a guy who's probably operated his businesses in the red. Uh, hell be damned. And remember, one of the things that, that as a businessman he has practiced for a long time is you got to spend money to make money. I mean, exactly. And that that's his mentality. His mentality, at least when you ask about how can you continue to do this. But the government. His, his response is we will continue. We'll, our economy will will be at, moving at such a fast clip. We'll be able to make that money back. I don't think that's how government spending works. N- no. That's maybe how business spending works, but that's not how it works. No. Maybe that's I don't know if there's a way to fix it or make it more in line with the way normal businesses would work. The Freedom Caucus is expected to meet today to talk about this deal, but Mark Meadows, a Republican and out of North Carolina, and Jim Jordan of Ohio have said that they are very um, – they're still looking at it. They haven't said one way or the other if they love this deal or hate this deal, but other conservatives, despite the fact that they don't like it, aren't criticizing the president necessarily here. They're just suggesting that maybe this is the way they're going to go about doing it. I just thought that was interesting, that today was the day that the Tea Party died because of this budget deal. Coming up next, we will get an update on the Chris Watts case. Uh, some terrible information coming out about uh, the the victims and the family. Chris Watts, of course, killed his pregnant wife, his two little girls. And uh, his, his wife's family is talking about the fallout, and it'll make you sick to your stomach. Coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Cause I wanna go back to the days of the past when everything was easy But I'm holding you close and I'm letting it go Cause baby, you're the reason I got, I got Gary and Shannon Tomorrow we're gonna have extra coverage of Mueller Day Former special counsel Bob Mueller is going to be testifying in front of the House Intelligence and Judiciary Committees and is now asked for his uh, deputy to be sworn in right alongside him. Not quite sure what that means in terms of what things the deputy might be able to say that Bob Mueller wouldn't, but we know the Justice Department gave him guidance that just suggested that he stay within the realm of the report that was put out a couple of months ago. Also, news out of Canada today. We told you about that young couple that was murdered while they were on vacation. And then two teenagers that were missing. Oh, and another body that was spotted near their burned-out car. Well, the strange twist that was taken today is that authorities believe that those two teenagers, those two uh, 18- and 19-year-old boys who are responsible for these murders. Crazy. Uh, one of the cases that we've told you about for the last year now is the story of Chris Watts. He's now serving life in prison for the murders of his pregnant wife, Shanann, their four-year-old daughter, Bella, three-year-old daughter, Celeste. And if you remember, this is the family out of Colorado where at first mom and the girls were considered missing. He gave an interview in front of his house while the uh, the dogs were alerting onto what they believed was the scent of uh, of the mom and daughters in the house barking behind them. He just acted as if nothing was wrong. It turns out that he killed them all and uh, hid their bodies on the the land of an oil company that he was working for. Well, as you can 
understand or try to understand what a nightmare scenario for the family of Shanann and those little girls. And now it looks like the nightmare just got worse. Alex Stone joins us with the details. Alex, what's happening? Yeah, that this is, it was a horrendous story from the beginning. And now Shanann's dad, Frank Rusick, uh, he has flown from North Carolina back to Colorado to say, look, give us a break, everybody. They are getting bombarded by conspiracy theories and who he calls bullies online. Here's what uh, he's telling reporters now. He says, enough. Like I've been telling them for the longest time, just stop. Please just stop. Get on with your lives. He says they've been dealing alone. with the, just a bombardment of insane theories online, people who think they know what really happened, that they think that Shanann was involved in, in something that, that went terribly wrong that it isn't the story that we've all heard. There's some other story to it. And he says, come on. It doesn't need to be like this. I shouldn't have to be out here doing this. And he says it goes beyond that, that they're actually getting threatened with their lives over this, that people are sending them messages, people are calling them, people are trying to to tell them that, that they're going to die because of the, the real story that's going to come out. Here's what we have been subject to threats on our lives, all because we are victims in painful tragedy. And now he wants Facebook and Twitter to to take action. He says that they can't deal with this anymore, that they've been dealing with enough, that he lost his granddaughters, he lost his daughter, and now he's putting up with all of this. I'm hoping it'll change law, but I'm hoping that uh, these, you know, Facebook and all these people, you know, really look at what's going on. So for now, he's making the call. He's back in Colorado. He lives in North Carolina. He's saying, if you can hear me, if you are taking part in these conspiracy theories, if you're sending me threatening messages... My daughter is dead. My grandchildren are dead. They were killed by their father, their husband, that uh, he was the evil guy out of this. There's nothing else to win on. Shanann was not in a cult. Shanann wasn't out uh, taking part in prostitution. She wasn't doing all this. He says, just let it be, and he wants it to end. Does he have suggestions for these social media companies? I mean, are there actual steps that he would like to see them take to prevent this in the future? He's and admits he's not a real technical guy, uh, but he says that, that he wants them to, to block these people, that he says the family has been reporting that they're getting harassed by these people. He wants them blocked. He wants their messages blocked. Beyond that, he says he doesn't really know what can be done. This was kind of a, a two-part plea that he was making, one to the social media companies to say, pay attention, I'm a victim here, and I'm dealing with all of these threats coming in. And then, secondly, to those who were doing it. And he knew if he went to Colorado that media would show up, the reporters are close to the story, that they would listen, putting that message out there, saying, look, I don't know where you people are. They might be in Colorado. They might be in L.A. They might be in China, the people who are posting this stuff. But he says, come on, let me live my life. Let me move forward every day, getting bombarded with messages about you know, your daughter was this, your daughter was that. He says... None of it's true, and he just hopes it can end. That's just one of the terrible things about the Internet is it leaves room for very terrible people to speculate. And when you've already been the victim of a horrendous uh, a horrendous year like, like uh, her father has had, I can't even imagine dealing with all of that, too. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, you know, now, not to, to hit podcasts, but there are podcasts that, not necessarily in this case, but... We've heard from police in other cases where, you know, they begin to dig up stuff that isn't really there, and that gets people riled up at times, and then they start talking uh, online that there are a lot of different ways that this can go, but 
this is the victim of one of these ways, and he says that he's getting tormented by this day in and day out. Alex, thank you. You got it. Thanks, guys. Alex Stone there with the latest on this. Uh, what the hell's wrong with people? Well, I, that's uh, longer than we have here. Uh, that's uh, You, you don't want to do uh, 45 minutes on what the hell is wrong with people? <laughs> I, I don't know if 45 minutes would uh, be able to hold it all. Well, speaking of uh, the what the hell is wrong with people file, we've got a transgender activist story to tell you about coming up next. A transgender anti-immigrant pro-male genitalia bald... Well, not all. I guess it's awkward. Well, we'll just say that. let's just say it's a trans woman who still has her penis and scrotum. Right. And wants them to be waxed. Waxed, right. Yeah. Chris, are you sad you just came in the room during that? Con- Do you want to stay Sorry. for the conversation? <laughs> <laughs> There's no better way to have somebody run out of the room. Excellent choice. All right. What is more important? The right of a trans female to have her male genitalia waxed? Mm -hmm. Or the right of a female beautician to say, I'm not waxing that? Or, Or how about this? I'm not qualified to wax that. That is the question on the table before a British Columbia human rights tribunal. They've been holding hearings about this. About this trans female who says she wants to go to a female salon and get her uh, penis and scrotum waxed. And the women who work at the female salon say, we don't do that here. If you want a, what are they called? Brazilians Or a manzillion, I a saw man-zillion. that. A brozillion? Yeah. There are places for that. But this isn't one of them. Um, the, the issue at... Here, uh, the complainant in this case is Jessica Yaniv, whose birth and legal pre-transition name, because I want to keep it respectful here, is Jonathan. Jonathan Yaniv, born yeah. born with male genitalia that she retains, but identifies as a woman with extra, perhaps a woman plus. And she has filed suit against various salons throughout British Columbia, various waxing salons, because they limit their services to female clients. And Jessica is suing, saying that you cannot discriminate uh, based on the fact that I have I have the plus, I have extras, and I am a female. They say, but you don't have the part that we're used to working on, and we don't, first of all, do that. You can't force us to touch it. Some of them have religious reasons. Sure. Um, Also, it's a completely different process, as I understand it, the female waxing versus the male waxing. And they say that if you use the female waxing on the scrotum, it would injure it. 
I'm sorry I had to say that out loud. Can you at least give me a warning? <laughs> sorry. Can you take a tally on how many times penis and scrotum has been said on this show? Today? I, I've been, I've been added another I, one of each. I have You're been uh, reaching for a record, Joe. I started it with our crosstalk with handle. You passed it. Well, now listen. There, there are more issues. Okay, that it's hard to beat John and Ken in this game. <laughs> That's hard on the junk. Yeah, Jessica is representing herself in this says that she came upon a Facebook ad spring of last year that offered a promotion for a Brazilian wax, which is, well, you know what it is. Um, a Facebook ad. A Facebook ad. Okay. Now, the the woman who put the ad in there said she had just started her home-based business after doing waxes for Family and friends. Family and friends. That would be odd, wouldn't what? it? I don't want to see family and friends <laughs> genitals. And that Jessica was the first to respond to the ad, they so, agreed over text message to get the appointment. But then she ident- or she she testifies that I, after identifying herself as transgender and sending the the waxer a selfie, that the waxer canceled the session. Yes, she says in front of the tribunal, "I have no problem with LGBT, but I'm just not comfortable waxing male genitals, the penis and the scrotum." The idea didn't sit well with her husband, and she didn't have, like you said, the experience. Everyone has the right to decide who comes into their home, whether they're a business person or not, that's is why, what she, she argued. That's why there's signs everywhere that say we reserve the right to refuse service. Yeah. Because sometimes you don't want to wax that. And you shouldn't be forced to. Wax what? The penis and the scrotum. Thanks, Thanks Blake. <laughs> um, there's more that goes into this, though. Because Jessica... Jessica, the, the complainant in this case, has a very bizarre history that's been published in terms of her mentality towards her presentation. And I, and I, I use that as a I use that on purpose, not just the presenting as a female, but how she presents as a female. One of the things that she has said she likes to do in text messages with friends is she likes to relate to women. And one of the ways that she'll do that is when in the bathroom or a changing room at the gym, for example, she will talk to them about tampons and do they even call them sanitary napkin pads? Thank you. So here's the thing about women. Uh, We don't talk about that stuff. Well, she says she would do it discreetly. Like, hey, you got a tampon? Like that's her way of bonding? Right, okay. because that's a very specifically female that's thing. That's not bonding. That's just necessity. Right? You are now arguing about what this woman uh, believes is bonding and what oh, well. isn't. So, uh, but she can come talk to me about it. She also talked. There, there were people who brought up other things in her past, including taking pictures at beauty pageants that involved. Um, that involved young girls. She also put out a post on social media to have some sort of a topless swimming party with people 12 and up wearing no top if they preferred not to wear their top. Sure. Which could look like you want to swim with little girls. Yeah. Also, the suggestion that some of the women who were turning down the waxing appointments were doing so, even if they were doing so because of religious reasons, that they were breaking a law, and if they were immigrants to Canada, they should be deported. 
So Jessica's got a lot going on. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, she's going and through I, something. I think getting waxed is the least of her problems right now. I feel like if you wanted to wax your genitalia as Ooh, a man. Restraint. There. Yes. Good yes. job. There was a rare moment of restraint that you're going through something because that doesn't sound like it's something that you that you would want to go through if you were completely uh, tip top mentally. I mean. I feel like I'm losing time here. Like. <laughs> The last six minutes of conversation. <laughs> let's talk Tasty Tuesday when we go back. Yeah, let's find some fruit with really thin skin on it and see if we can get Neil to peel the skin off without breaking. <laughs> you ever had a lychee fruit? Lychee? Oh, my goodness. Isn't that, like a lychee martini? Yeah. I won't eat those at the yogurt shop, by the way. Lychee they... martinis are delicious. <clears throat> or grapes? Gary and Shannon, interesting uh, twist. Maybe just some of the context of Robert Mueller's testimony tomorrow. The Attorney General, William Barr, says that it was Robert Mueller that asked the Department of Justice for a letter that would limit testimony to what was in the report. That even though hmm. he is not a an employee of the Department of Justice that this letter would actually sort of confine him to the boundaries of the report that came out a couple of uh, uh, a couple of months ago. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes tomorrow. Of course, Mueller testifying in front of the House Judiciary and House Intelligence Committees starting super early tomorrow. You're going to hear it, I think, early, uh, probably during Wake Up Call with Jonesy starting in that 5 o'clock hour. Hey, Nick. Yes, Shannon? What did the green grape say to the purple grape? You want to get waxed? Breathe. Oh. Breathe. <laughs> well, I guess Blake hadn't heard food jokes in Romania. That was a good way to weave in the waxing, Nick. I you know, too much time has passed. No, I got it. You remember? Because remember, we were talking about about the yeah. the scrotum being waxed, and then the fruits, the different kinds of fruits with thin skin. Right. Oh boy. The, the lychee martini. You guys, that. Neil's gonna leave. All right. <laughs> He's just going to leave. Yeah, so is Joe. <laughs> yeah, guys. Call, yeah, call Tessa tomorrow. <laughs> Neil Saavedra, host of the Fork Report here on KFI, Saturdays 2 to 5. You've been busy on that show yes, in the last have. couple of weeks. Yes. I've been following. I've, I've not been, it's been nonstop. It's been great. I've met a lot of listeners, a lot of really cool people, but it's been nonstop. I've uh, enjoyed following your culinary adventures. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. That is what it is. Speaking of culinary adventure. See, si, senor. When we did our Headlines and Wines edition of News and Brews. Which I missed just and on I was Friday. Bummed. I wanted to uh, go out there. Sounded great. At uh, San Antonio Winery, uh, they provided us with a, a quick bite of the uh, the lasagna. Huh? And by quick bite, I mean about a 10-pound piece of right? lasagna. I saw Gary put down that 10-pound piece. I made it through nine and a half pounds of the 10-pound three and a half piece. But am I right? It's, it was amazing. It's great. Yeah. I'd yeah. like to give a shout-out to the portobello mushroom ravioli. <laughs> 
Holy hell. Yeah, you you guys were very funny. It's so like and then the pictures were great as well. Look at us. This is a this is a wine thing. This is another wine thing. Here's food. Here's another wine thing. This person works with wine things. Well, yeah, we took a page from the fork report. Yeah, it was like it's like this is the greatest day. They're feeding us. It's it really is the greatest job well, in the world when people just bring you food and drink. And it, it wasn't just about that though. I mean, because it's a family run winery, they had such great stories of of the tradition of the of the place and in the history. And you see the old old photos too. There, yeah. Of, yeah. Be- probably before it was even Chinatown. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was yeah. Italian. So, yeah, it was I mean, Italian. It was, it was Italy, basically a little Italy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that the San Antonio Winery in that space since 1917, and the room that we were in was the original room where they had all of their giant barrels of wine. Yeah, it's crazy beautiful, and they're nice people. Yeah, they are very cool family. So you're nice people. What are we talking about? Oh, uh, uh, speaking of being out and about, this Saturday we're doing the show live from Outdoor Elegance in Laverne. It's technically my birthday show, so we're doing a backyard barbecue. We're firing up like five or six barbecues outside. We'll do the show live. We'll have free eats for whoever wants to come down. We'll have stuff to give away. We'll have some demonstrations and some other surprises. But we're just going to have a, a good time from 2 to 4 at the 210 Freeway in Foothill uh, at Outdoor Elegance. So another excuse for me to be out, eat, and have <laughs> sure. people, people feed me. <laughs> why not? Yeah, but it'll be good fun. So, uh, you know, why why stay indoors? It's summertime. So, yeah, yeah, so we thought it'd be great. And they have this great patio area, So and they have – a bunch of uh, grilled. Maybe we'll even fire up the uh, pizza oven, but we'll definitely mm. be giving out free stuff. So anybody who is in the area wants to come by, bring the family, have a good time this Saturday. Um, speaking of grilling, there's a lot of grilling myths. There's myths in general. You know how there's stuff that we learned as a kid. You know, don't go outside with your hair wet, or you're going to get herpes or whatever. I don't know what the your kid, your parents taught you, but uh, well, whatever it is, what are you doing with you your know, wet head? <laughs> That's that's the problem, maybe. Wow. Um, so you, all these things that people tell you, and you hear it uh, passed down with cooking. Cooking is an art, but it's actually a science. So what happens is it's been treated like an art through the centuries, meaning you have the master passing down information to the apprentice, and the apprentice better not ask too many questions, right? It's like, this is how we do it. Well, why do you do it? Just is how we do it. So a lot of bad things have been uh, brought uh, through the centuries into cooking and things that don't make sense scientifically. So one of them that, that people have shifted from is searing in the juices. You don't sear in juices when you, when you grill or when you cook. It's, it's asinine to think. You'd have to actually vacuum seal the entire steak to do that. Um, that doesn't happen. Another one that is even harder to teach people is marinades most of the time don't do anything. What? I know, right? And it's a really hard one to wrap your brain around. Uh, We've had since uh, 1980-something, I think, to swallow the whole reverse searing, that you don't sear in the juices, all those things. But this marinade stuff has been more recent, uh, probably within the last uh, decade or so, that they're saying, listen, there's – the science behind it is bad, and you can actually ruin your meat. You got to get your dry rubs. I, well, I've yeah, noticed dry rubs are great because they're basically a brine. I've noticed that in recipes lately uh, that I'd never noticed before that if you're going to marinate something, that you either do it for you, you have to do it for more than a half an hour, but no more than two and a half hours, or something along those. Yeah. depending on the meat, depending on what it is you're putting in your marinade. Here's the basic rule: if it's a thin cut, you're doing a flank, a skirt steak, something like that. Go ahead and marinate. 
Uh, it does not penetrate the meat. All but tiny, 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 tiny surface stuff. Uh, as far as tenderizing, acids will tenderize, which is really just a breaking down of the fibers and things like that in the protein. However, if you marinate for too long, it just makes it mushy. So people like mar- it doesn't go in deeper. It just makes the surface mealy, mushy, nasty. The belief now is a post-marinade, and this is becoming much more popular because of Adam Perry Lang, who is a genius. He's got a – he is just a barbecuing meat genius. He's got a place here in uh, Hollywood. Uh, I, before he had or ever had a brick and mortar, I had the pleasure of eating his food a couple of times when he would do pop-ups um, uh, behind Jimmy Kimmel Live. And his, his food's phenomenal. So the key is you want to marinate. Get your marinade. Mix your marinade up little salt and pepper, little oil, grill your meat, and then after it's done, put it into the fresh marinade. Two things are happening here. One, when you put raw meat in a marinade, you can't use that marinade for anything anymore. True. Because it's, got the raw, it's still raw, right? So you either have to boil it or cook it, um, and then you can baste with it, all of those things, but you're kind of screwed as to what you can do with it. If you cook the meat first, get nice, get it cooked perfectly, You've already got your your main seasoning on there, salt and pepper, a little bit of oil. And then you put it into the marinade. Now it's everything's it's cooked. It's fine. Nothing, there's not going to be a problem. And then if you want to warm it up, you can throw it back on the grill to reheat it a little bit or to get it up to temp. You, so you're putting it in the marinade while it's resting, like right yeah, off of the grill? Exactly. Essentially while it's resting. Some people will even cut it up and then put it into the marinade. I wouldn't suggest that. I prefer to put it in whole. And um, because two things are happening, a marinade is going to add flavor, but the problem is you put an oil in a marinade. What Shannon said about a dry rub uh, is correct. A dry rub doesn't have any oil in it. So what ends up happening, the things that do have a chemical reaction with the protein, which is primarily salt, some sugars, and some other things, but your seasonings don't. What ends up happening is you have to leave it on uh, at least 45 minutes. And it will start to change the structure of the meat. It'll open up. It'll now the juices will flow out. It'll mix with all those things, and then it will start to pull them back into the meat. That's different. Brining's totally different. Brining works. Brining is amazing. But what doesn't help is when you have a meat that is primarily seventy-five percent water, and you're putting mixing oil and herbs, and you're trying to get the oil into. It's not going to go into go. the marinade, no matter how long you do it for. The acid's going to start breaking down the meat and making it nasty, and you're not going to get what you think you are. This may be another myth as well. If I vacuum pack my meat into a into Someone a container where too. I you're suck gonna the air more, out, you're going to get more depth, right. most definitely, because now you're actually forcing the marinade into there, but it's not as deep as you think it is. It's not. It's never getting to that depth depth where you think, oh, it's permeating the meat. A brine will, a rub will. Tasty Tuesday with Neil Saavedra. Our Fork Reporter continues. We will be talking more dry rubs and things of that nature when we come back. I keep seeing visions of you, visions of visions of you. I keep getting stuck in this day, stuck in this deja vu. Even in the darkest hour, even when I know it can't be true. I keep seeing visions of you. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. 
Shannon. It's Tuesday, it's July 23rd. Big stories that we follow today, of course. Boris Johnson won the race to become the next Prime Minister of the UK. Bob Mueller Day is tomorrow, so we're at Bob Mueller Day minus one. Well, how do you celebrate Bob Mueller Eve? Maybe Gosh. you... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Roast marshmallows? Maybe I watched The Bachelorette from last night. Don't do that. Did you hear? The dude came back with an engagement ring. The, the Christian kid? Uh, is that what he was? That said he was going to pray over the, her? Yeah, the crazy guy. Oh, Luke? Yeah, Luke is his name. Uh, Dodger Stadium going to undergo a $100 million renovation in the offseason. Of course, uh, they say it's going to be ready by next spring. Better be, because uh, next July they're hosting the All-Star Game. Neil Savedra, host of the Fork Report, has joined us. We're talking about um, marinades and rubs and sauces. What about this may be a little... This may be sort of a goofy thing that no actual cook would ever use, mm. but it seems like every holiday season we get introduced to these giant injecting things where you're supposed to oh, put yeah. cloves of garlic underneath the skin of the turkey or whatever. All that works. Yeah. All that works. Yeah. A lot of uh, competition, um, you know, pit masters and and, uh, and these these folks, they use those things. They inject marinades, things like that. Totally different. Because... Then here's the thing. You don't need the time because the time isn't going to do anything. It's just not. If you want the flavor, then really it's going to be about getting that flavor on it afterwards. That's that's the key. The only difference is when you're using a finishing sauce. So can you inject? Yes, you can inject. You can cut holes and put cloves. All that stuff works. All that stuff works. But people use barbecue sauce often, which is a finishing sauce, they put it on the chicken or whatever, and they throw it on the grill. Mm. High sugar content. Yeah, that's no bueno. No bueno. At about, yeah. at about three, I don't know, about 340 to about, yeah, about 320 to 340, sugar will uh, caramelize. Delicious. Unless it's on meat. Well, no, it's all that's... delicious. However, you're not <laughs> cooking at 340. On your grill, oh. it's ne- it's not going to be lower than forty. So if you're smoking or yeah. or four hundred, yes, you're, if you're smoking meat or things like that, that's fine because you're going to be smoking about you know anywhere between two forty and three something. So it's going to be different, <laughs> low and. I don't even know what, what I don't even know what. Usually, I can tell what's making you laugh. Right. Hey. Wow. Okay. I I I'm going to bet. Just just a gentleman bet yes. with Gary that whatever she's laughing at has something to do with the word leaking. No. No? no? Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Not leaking? No. For a P- week? Please continue. Okay. <clears throat> also, uh, when uh, – so the, the heat, if you're doing like high high heat, which is – you know, your grill is going to be 400 and, and higher. You see that little needle going sure. up. And even though those thermometers on the on the doors are crap – you could still see it's getting hot in there. Uh, so keep it in mind. Don't put that on. You want really killer, you know, barbecue chicken, a little salt and pepper and some oil. Um, grill it until the internal temperature is about 160 um, and or actually less. I'd go 155, 150, then put the barbecue sauce on it and then grill it until it comes to about 160 and take it off and it will raise up to the 165, which is safe. And it's just wonderful. Gets a little caramelization on there. All that's spectacular. So 
general suggestion is to, to to leave marinades and sauces for after the cooking or at the very tail end of the cooking portion of yeah, it. Yeah, if you want to But the rubs, some... you can do that beforehand, right? I mean, for the most part, yes, unless the rubs. The reason why the rub is different is because the rub is is technically a brine. It's, oh, okay, it's a, that's right. It's a dry brine. Right. So it's, the interaction is going to be different. The one thing that does pener- penetrate deep is things like salt, and some sugar, some things like that. Which you're going to have in a in a dry brine, uh, and you're, you're going to have often in a wet dry brine too. You'll have both uh, sugar and salt in there as well. So they'll penetrate. Everything else won't penetrate, especially with the oil. It's not going to penetrate. So a dry rub doesn't have the oil, so it's not battling against the seventy five percent water, which your protein is, and so they can uh, it can absorb differently. Uh, it also gives a crust. It gets it caramelizes, then it gets a nice bark. On it, and you know, it's that kind of. They actually call it in in uh, grilling competitions the sugar cookie, because sometimes it gets a bark at the bottom where the fat mixes with it, and it just gives this nice crunchy outer uh, uh, this exterior crunch to it before you get into the meat. It's mm. really, really tasty. Mm. Neil Savedra, thank you, our oh, fork reporter. You. Come on out this Saturday. To Outdoor Elegance in Laverne at the 210 Freeway in Foothill. I'll be broadcasting live from 2 to 5. It's my it's the day before my birthday, but it's going to be our birthday show. And we're going to have uh, free food and things to give away and hang out. And it'll well, be fun. Happy early birthday. Wow. Oh, Shannon, Dude. thank you. What the hell was that? That was poor. That was your new prime minister across the pond there. Oh, the real flowery talking one about the yes. giant and. Soundbite machine, that yeah. guy. Oh, Gosh. John and Ken coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Stay dry. Blessings. Listen, ladies, it's been real and it's been fun. But has it been real fun? Uh-uh. Nope. Gary and Shannon.